And you are listening to 94.1 KPFA in Berkeley, 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, and online at kpfa.org. The time is 3 p.m. Stay tuned next for Cover to Cover and Open Book. Good afternoon and welcome to this Friday's edition of Cover to Cover, Open Book. In the last few weeks, we have witnessed the devastation left behind throughout the South by the hurricanes Katrina and Rita. For the next half hour, you'll be hearing the first of a four-part reading produced by Susan Stone, where we'll see the resilience of the human spirit as we take a journey with Janie Crawford in Zora Neale Hurston's classic, Their Eyes Were Watching God. First published in 1937, this novel is a striking and timeless portrait of Janie Crawford's evolving sense of self through her three marriages. We meet her in part one as the young troubled wife of Joe Starks. Her husband, who is the new mayor of Orange County, and has set up his wife Janie as the store manager and right hand of his many business ventures in town. As Joe takes center stage, Janie fades to the background and this is where we find her. Our reader is Anna Lee Walker. And now, Their Eyes Were Watching God by Zora Neale Hurston. From Their Eyes Were Watching God by Zora Neale Hurston Joe Starks and his cigar took the center of the floor. I thanked you all for your kind welcome and for extending to me the right hand of fellowship. I can see that this town is full of union and love. I means to put my hand to the plow here and strain every nerve to make this our town the metropolis of the state. So maybe I better tell you in case you don't know that if we expect to move on, us gotta incorporate like every other town. Us gotta incorporate and us gotta have a mayor if things is to be done and done right. I welcome y'all on behalf of me and my wife to this store and to the other things to come. Amen. Tony led the loud clapping and was out in the center of the floor when it stopped. Brothers and sisters, since us can't never expect a better out choice, our moves that we make Brother Starks our mayor until we can see further. That second that motion, it was everybody talking at once, so it was no need of putting it to a vote. And now we'll listen to a few words of encouragement from Mrs. Mayor Starks. The burst of applause was cut short by Joe taking the floor himself. Thank you for your compliments, but my wife don't know nothing about no speech making. I never married her for nothing like that. She's a woman, and her place is in the home. 
Janie made her face laugh after a short pause, but it wasn't too easy. She had never thought of making a speech and didn't know if she cared to make one at all. It must have been the way Joe spoke without giving her a chance to say anything one way or another that took the bloom off the thing. But anyway, she went down the road behind him that night feeling cold. He strode along invested with his new dignity, thought and planned out loud, unconscious of her thoughts. The mayor of a town like this can't lay round home too much. The place needs building up, Janie. I'll get hold of somebody to help out in the store, and you can look after things while I drum up things otherwise. Oh, Jody, I can't do nothing with no store less than you's there. And could maybe come in and help when you get things rushed, but, oh, God, I don't see how come you can't. Tain't nothing at all to hinder you if you got a thumble full of sense. You got to. I got too much else on my hands as mayor. This town needs some light right now. Mm-hmm. It is a little dark right along here. Course it is. There ain't no use in scuffing over these stumps and roots in the dark. I'll call a meeting about the dark and the roots right away. I'll sit in on this case first thing. The very next day, with money out of his own pocket, he sent off to Sears Roebuck and Company for the street lamp and told the town to meet the following Thursday night to vote on it. Nobody had ever thought of street lamps, and some of them said it was a useless notion. They went so far as to vote against it, but the majority ruled. But the whole town got vain over it after it came. That was because the mayor didn't just take it out of the crate and stick it up on a post. He unwrapped it and had it wiped off carefully and put it up on a showcase for the week for everybody to see. Then he set a time for the lighting and sent word all around Orange County for one and all to come to the lamp lighting. He sent men out to the swamp to cut the finest and the straightest cypress posts they could find and kept on sending them back to hunt another one until they found one that pleased him. They had talked to the people already about the hospitality of the occasion. Y'all know we can't invite people to our town just dry long so. Ah, God, no. We got to feed them something. And taint nothing people like better than barbecue. I'll give one whole hog myself. Seems like all the rest of y'all put together ought to be able to scrape up two more. Tell your women folks to do round bout some pies and cakes and sweet tater pone. And that's the way it went, too. The women got together, the sweets, the men looked after the meats. The day before the lighting, they dug a hole in the back of the store and filled it full of oak wood and burned it down to a glowing bed of coals. It took them the whole night to barbecue the three hogs, Hambo and Pearson had full charge while the others helped out with turning the meat now and then while Hambo swabbed it all over with the sauce. In between times, they told stories, laughed and told more stories and sung songs. They cut all sorts of capers and whiffed the meat as it slowly came to perfection with the seasoning penetrating to the bone. 
The younger boys had to rig up the sawhorses with the boards for the women to use as tables. Then it was after sunup, and everybody not needed went home to rest up for the feast. By five o'clock, the town was full of every kind of vehicle and swarming with people. They wanted to see that lamp lit at dusk. Near the time, Joe assembled everybody in the street before the store and made a speech. Folks, the sun is going down. The sunmaker brings it up in the morning, and the sunmaker send it to bed at night. Us poor, weak humans can't do nothing to care, hurry it up or to slow it down. All we can do, if we want any light after the setting or before the rising, is to make some light ourselves. So that's how come street lamps was made. This evening, we's all assembled here to light the lamp. The first street lamp in a colored town. Lift your eyes and gaze on it, and when I touch the match to your lamp wick, let the light penetrate inside of you and let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Brother Davis, lead us in a word of prayer. Ask a blessing on this town in a most peculiar manner. When it was all over that night in bed, Jody asked Janie, Well, honey, how you like being Mrs. Mayor? It's all right, I reckon. But don't you think it keeps us in a kind of strain? Strain? You mean the cooking and waiting on folks? No, Jody, it just looks like it keeps us in some ways we ain't natural with each other. You's always off talking and fixing things, and I feels like I was just marking time. Hope it'll soon be over. Over, Janie? Ah, God, I ain't even got started good. I told you in the first very beginning that I aimed to be a big voice. You ought to be glad, cause that makes a big woman out of you. A feeling of coldness and fear took hold of her. She felt far away from things and lonely. Janie began to feel the impact of awe and envy against her sensibilities. The wife of the mayor was not just another woman as she had supposed. She slept with authority. And so she was part of it in the town's mind. She couldn't get but so close to most of them in spirit. It was especially noticeable after Joe had forced through a town ditch to drain the street in front of the store. They had murmured hotly about slavery being over, but every man filled his assignment. There was something about Joe Starks that cowed the town. It was not because of physical fear. He was no fist fighter. His bulk was not even imposing as men go. Neither was it because he was more literate than the rest. Something else made men give way before him. He had a bow down command in his face, and every step he took made the thing more tangible. There was no doubt that the town respected him and even admired him in a way. But any man who walks in the way of power and property is bound to meet hate. So when speakers stood up when the occasion demanded and said, Our beloved mayor, it was one of those statements that everybody says but nobody actually believes like God is everywhere. It was just a handle to wind up the tongue with. 
As time went on and the benefits he had conferred upon the town receded in time, they sat on his store porch while he was busy inside and discussed him. Like one day after he caught Henry Pitts in a wagon load of his ribbon cane and took the cane away from Pitts and made him leave town. Well, some of them thought Sparks ought not to have done that. He had so much cane and everything else. But they didn't say that while Joe Starks was on the porch. When the mail came from Maitland, and so he went inside to sort it out, everybody had their say. Slim Jones started off as soon as he was sure the Starks couldn't hear him. It's a sin and a shame running that poor man away from here like that. Colored folks oughtn't to be so hard on one another. I don't see it that way at all, Sam Watson said shortly. Let colored folks learn to work for what they get like everybody else. Nobody ain't stopped Pitts from planting the cane he wanted to. Stocks give him a job. What's more do he want? I know that too, Jones said. But Sam, Joe Stocks is too exact with folks. All he got, he done made it off of the rest of us. He didn't have all that when he come here. I often wondered how that little wife of his and make out with him, cause he's a man that changes everything, but nothing don't change him. You know, many's the time I done thought about that myself. He gets on her every now and then when she make little mistakes around the store. What make her keep her head tied up like some old woman around the store? Nobody couldn't get me to tie no rag on my head if I had hair like that. Maybe he make her do it. Maybe he scared some of the rest of us men might touch it round that store. It sure is a hidden mystery to me. She sure don't talk much. The way he rents and pitches in the store sometimes when she make a mistake is sort of ungodly. But she don't seem to mind at all. Reckon they understand one another. The town had a basket full of feelings and good and bad about Joe's position and possessions, but none had the gall to challenge him. They bowed down to him, rather, because he was all of these things, and then again he was all of these things because the town bowed down. Every morning the world flung itself over and exposed the town to the sun. So Janie had another day, and every day had a store in it except Sundays. The store itself was a pleasant place if only she didn't have to sell things. When the people sat around on the porch and passed around the pictures of their thoughts for others to look at and see, it was nice. The fact that the thought pictures were always crayon enlargements of life made it even nicer to listen. Janie loved conversation, but Joe had forbidden her to indulge. He didn't want her talking after such trashy people. Janie noted that when Liege or Sam or Walter or some of the other big picture talkers were using a side of the world for a canvas, Joe would hustle her off inside the store to sell something. Looked like he took pleasure in doing it. Why couldn't he go himself sometimes? She had come to hate the inside of that store anyway. That post office, too. People always coming and asking for mail at the wrong time, just when she was trying to count up something or write in an account book. 
get her so hackled she'd make the wrong change for stamps. Then, too, she couldn't read everybody's writing. Some folks wrote so funny and spelt things different from what she knew about. And, as a rule, Joe put up the mail himself. But sometimes, when he was off and she had to do it herself, and it was always ended up in a fuss. The store itself kept her with a sick headache. The labor of getting things down off of a shelf or out of a barrel was nothing. And so long as people wanted only a can of tomatoes or a pound of rice, it was all right. But supposing they went on and said a pound and a half of bacon and a pound half of lard, the whole thing changed from a little walking and stretching to a mathematical dilemma. Or maybe cheese was 37 cents a pound and somebody came in and asked for a dime's worth. She went through many silent rebellions over things like that. Such a waste of life and time. But Joe kept saying that she could do it if she wanted to, and he wanted her to. Use her privileges. That was the rock she was battered against. This business of the head rag irked her endlessly. But Jody was set on it. Her hair was not going to show in the store. It didn't seemed sensible at all. That was because Joe never told Janie how jealous he was. He never told her how often he had seen the other men figuratively wallowing in it as she went about things in the store. And one night, he had caught Walter standing behind Janie and brushing the back of his hand back and forth across the loose end of her braid ever so slightly so as to enjoy the feel of it without Janie knowing what he was doing. Joe was at the back of the store and Walter didn't see him. He felt like rushing forth with a meat knife and chopping off that offending hand. That night, he ordered Janie to tie up her hair around the store. That was all. She was there in the store for him to look at, not those others. But he never said things like that. It just wasn't in him. After games and dining with the menfolk, Joe returned to the store full of pleasure and good humor. But he didn't want Janie to notice it because he saw that she was sullen, and he resented that. She had no right to be the way he thought things out. She wasn't even appreciative of his efforts, and she had plenty cause to be. Here he was just pouring honor all over her, building a high chair for her to sit in and overlook the world, and she here pouting over it. Not that he wanted anybody else, but just too many women would be glad to be in her place. He ought to box her jaws. But he didn't feel like fighting today, so he made an attack upon her position backhand. I had to laugh at the people out there in the woods this morning, Janie. You can't help but laugh at the capers they cut. But all the same, I wish my people would get more business in them and not spend so much time on foolishness. Everybody can't be like you, Jody. Somebody is bound to want to laugh and play. Who don't love to laugh and play? You make out like you don't anyhow. I, God, I don't make out no such lie. But it's a time for everything. But it's awful to see so many people don't want nothing but a full belly and a place to lay down and sleep afterwards. 
It makes me sad sometimes, and then again it makes me mad. They say things sometimes that tickle me nearly to death, but I won't laugh just to discourage them. Janie took the easy way from the fuss. She didn't change her mind, but she agreed with her mouth. Her heart said, Even so, but you don't have to cry about it. But sometimes, Sam Watson and Liege Moss forced a belly laugh out of Joe himself with the eternal arguments. It never ended because there was no end to reach. It was a contest in hypable and carried on for no other reason. Maybe Sam would be sitting on the porch when Liege walked up. If nobody was there to speak of, nothing happened. But if the town was there like on Saturday night, Liege would come up with a very grave air. Couldn't even pass the time of day for being so busy thinking. Then when he was asked what was the matter in order to start him off, he'd say, The question done about drove me crazy. And Sam, he knows so much into things, I want some information on the subject. Walter Thomas was due to speak up and egg the matter on. Yep. Sam always got more information than we know what to do with. He's bound to tell you what it is you want to know. Sam began an elaborate show of avoiding the struggle. That draws everybody on the porch into it. How come you want me to tell you? You always claim God done met you around the corner and talked his inside business with you. Tain't no use in you asking me nothing. I'm questioning you. How are you going to do that, Sam, when I arrive this conversation myself? I'm asking you. Asking me what? You ain't told me the subject yet. Don't aim to tell you. I aims to keep you in the dark all the time. If you so smart like you let on, you can find out. <laughs> you scared to let me know what it is, cause you know I tear it to pieces. You got to have a subject to talk from. By this time, they are the center of the world. Well, all right then, since you own up you ain't smart enough to find out what I'm talking about, I'll tell you. What is it that keeps a man from getting burnt on a red-hot stove? Caution or nature? <laughs> Shucks, I thought you had something hard to ask me. Walter can tell you that. If the conversation is too deep for you, how come you don't tell me so and hush up? Walter can't tell me nothing. It's nature that keep a man off in a red-hot stove. Uh-uh. I knowed you were going to crawl up in that holler, but I aim to smoke you right out. Tain't no nature at all. It's caution, Sam. Tain't no such a thing. Nature tell you not to fool with no red-hot stove, and you don't do it neither. Listen, Sam, if it was nature, nobody wouldn't have to look out for babies touching stoves, would they? Because they just naturally wouldn't touch it. But they sure will. So, it's caution. There was one of those big blowout laughs, and Janie was wallowing it. Then Jody ruined it all for her. Mrs. Bogle came walking down the street toward the porch, you saw a fluttering fan before her face and magnolia blooms and sleepy lakes under the moonlight when she walked. There was no obvious reason for it. It was just so. 
Her first husband had been a coachman, but studied jury to win her. He had finally become a preacher to hold her till his death. Her second husband worked in Fahar's orange grove, but tried to preach when he caught her eye. He never got any further than a class leader, but that was something to offer her. It proved his love and pride. She was a wind on an ocean. She moved men, but the helm determined the port. Now this night, she mounted the steps, and the men noticed her until she passed inside the door. I God, Jamie, Stark said impatiently. Why don't you go on and see what Miss Bogle wants? What you waiting on? Janie wanted to hear the rest of the play acting and how it ended. But she got up suddenly and went inside. She came back to the porch with her bristles sticking out all over her and with dissatisfaction written all over her face. Joe saw it and lifted his own hackles a bit. Jim Weston had secretly borrowed a dime and soon he was loudly beseeching Daisy to have a treat on him. Finally, she consented to take a pickle pigfoot on him. Janie was getting up a large order when they came in, so Lum waited on them. That is, he went to the keg but came back without the pigfoot. Miss Stark, the pig feeds is all gone, he called out. Oh, no, they ain't, Lum. I bought a whole new keg of them with the order last week from Jacksonville. It come in yesterday. Joe came and helped Lum look, but he couldn't find a new keg either, so he went to the nail over his desk that he used for a file to search for the order. Janie, where that last bill of laden? It's right there on the nail, ain't it? No, it ain't neither. You ain't put it where I told you to. If you get your mind out of the streets and keep on your business, maybe you could get something straight sometime. Oh, look around there, Jody. That bill ain't apt to be gone off nowhere. If it ain't handed on the nail, it's on your desk. You're bound to find it if you look. I done told you time and time again to stick all them papers on the nail. All you got to do is mind me. How come you can't do like I tell you? You sure loves to tell me what to do, but I can't tell you nothing, I see. That's cause you needs telling, he replied hotly. It would be pitiful if I didn't. Somebody got to think for women and children and chickens and cows. Ah, God, they sure don't think none themselves. I know a few things, and women folk think sometimes, too. Oh, no, they don't. They just think they's thinking. When I see one thing, I understands ten. When you sees ten things, you don't understand one. Times and scenes like that put Janie to thinking about the inside state of her marriage. Time came when she fought back with her tongue as best she could, but it didn't do her any good. It just made Joe do more. He wanted her submission, and he'd keep on fighting until he felt he had it. So, gradually, she pressed her teeth together and learned to hush.
I've been reading excerpts from Their Eyes Were Watching God by Zora Neale Hurston. I am Anna Lee Walker. Listening to part one of a four-part reading of Zora Neale Hurston's acclaimed novel, Their Eyes Were Watching God. Our reader is Anna Lee Walker. This program was engineered in the KPFA studios by Tanisha Jackson and produced by Susan Stone. Join us next week when we continue with part two in Friday's cover-to-cover open book. If you have any questions or comments about this show, feel free to call 510-848-6767, extension 212. I'm Amelia Gonzalez, thanking you for listening. Greater Bay Area Chapter of the ALS Association is holding its annual walk to defeat ALS on Saturday, October 1st at Crown Beach in Alameda. ALS, more commonly known as Lou Gehrig's disease, is a fatal disease with no known cause or cure. Funds raised will benefit local patient programs, support groups, and ALS research. The walk begins at 11 a.m. Information and registration is available online at www.fightals.com slash walk